We are so excited about the new year. We are so excited about this new year um, in this new series in a world that just inundates you with messages and information. We believe we've got a great message and some great information to share this year as we begin a brand new series called Follow. Now, we ended last year with a sneak preview of what we pray our church is going to become. For those of you who were in town and maybe at church um, last week, you realized that I and some of our folks weren't here. Um, Last week, our church had the opportunity to sponsor the Kansas City Chiefs Faith and Family Chapel. Uh, The Chiefs are the only NFL team in 32 cities that offers a pregame chapel service on site for tailgaters and fans before the game. Um, And last week, I had a chance to preach at that. Half of our worship team, led all the worship for that. We had a crew of 12 people that served coffee and donuts and were greeters and parking lot crew. So last week we kind of did church in two locations. And you know it's our dream that God would allow our church to plant other churches. It's, it's kind of our big prayer that by 2017 when we celebrate our six year anniversary that we will have started our next church and then every church we have will continue to plant churches and kind of our big, big dream if God lets us all live long enough to see it is by the time our church is 25 years old that we will have planted 25 churches all over the city and all over the Midwest and we saw a little bit of what that looks like last week, dividing and conquering and doing ministry with lots of different people in lots of different places and it was just awesome. But I'm excited for this year. I told you in September on our four-year anniversary that the goal for 2016 at our, at our church was that we wanted to go deep and wide spiritually. We're actually calling 2016 the year of deep and wide. For those of you who maybe grew up going to church, maybe you sang that little song in vacation Bible school in your kids' class, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. We want this year at our church to be deep spiritually, deeper than it's ever been before. And we want this year at our church to be wide spiritually. We want to have bigger impact this year and bigger influence on our community than we've ever had. We've had a lot of Sundays at our church. Our Sunday services are kind of formatted to allow you to come in and drink what God is saying to you and hopefully leave feeling refreshed. But this year, we're going to be serving some steak along with the drink. And this year, we want you many Sundays, today's going to be one of those, to leave kind of chewing on what you've heard. You're not going to be able to just drink it in and be refreshed and and last for a week, but we want you to go away and chew on, maybe for a day or a week or maybe a month, what we're saying. Really chew on some of the deeper things of God because we believe the deeper you go spiritually, the more you'll connect to God in a way that really transforms your life. And that That's going to happen beginning today. Now, next weekend is one of the biggest weekends at our church. On Saturday of this upcoming week, we have an event that we call Leadership U. We are gathering all of our volunteers, hundreds of volunteers from every area of ministry in our church, and we're kind of getting ready for the 2016 year. I'll be casting the vision for our volunteers. Our worship team will be leading worship. It's at 9 a.m. at Raintree Community Church, 9 to noon, and then all of our ministry teams will break up as ministry teams and just talk about how they can do better serving the people of our church. If you are engaged in ministry, we want you to be there, 9 to noon at Raintree Community Church. If you haven't started serving yet, but you want to, come and join us. It'll be an unbelievably uplifting time, a visionary time. I hope you can join us if you're engaged in serving at our church. And then next Sunday is a weekend that we're calling Vision Sunday. It's my Sunday next year to kind of cast the entire vision for 2016 and answer questions like, when are we going to move into our building? What are you going to learn spiritually? If you stay engaged, what 
can you expect to see happen spiritually in the life of you and your kids and maybe your teenagers? What is our spiritual plan for you? And then we're going to celebrate 2015. Next week, we'll release our 2015 annual ministry report. We'll talk to you about how many people served, how many people were in groups, um, how much money came in the offering, how we spent that money, how many people made spiritual decisions, how many people got baptized, the mission trips that we went on. We'll just celebrate 2015. We'll dream for 2016. It's going to be a big, big Sunday next week that I'm really, really excited about. But today we begin this series called Follow, making Jesus the very center of your life. There are a lot of people in a lot of churches, including a lot of people in this church, that have Jesus in and around their life. But not everyone has Jesus at the center of their life. And we want to spend six weeks talking about what it would look like if this year, more than any other year, we put Jesus right in the very center of of our life. The picture I'm going to show you, the word picture from the Old Testament next week, is going to be incredible. I think it's something you'll never forget about having Jesus at the center of your life. But today we start in the book of John, and we're going to kind of hang out here most of the year learning who Jesus is through the book of John. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 1. Make sure you pull those sermon notes out of your bulletin if you haven't already so you can take notes as we go along. I want to apologize in advance. I got a little blank happy. I think there's like 31 blanks. For those of you who like to take notes, you're going to love that. For those of you who hate taking notes, you're going to hate that. I apologize. If you need a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisles. They've got Bibles you can use today. If you don't have a Bible, they've got Bibles you can have. Take this one, put your name in it, keep it. It's ours, uh, our gift to you. We want you to go home. Just start reading this whole book of John that we're going to start studying today. But we're going to search the gospel of John to basically try to answer this question. How do we go from just believing in Jesus? How do we go from professing to be Christians to really following Jesus? And is there a difference? Is there a difference between saying, I believe in Jesus and I am following Jesus with everything in my life. Is there a difference? And if you're at one place, I believe in Jesus, but I don't follow him with everything in my life, how do we get from A to B? That's going to be the goal of this six weeks, and I'm going to provide you, I think, with as many questions as answers. So I think a lot of Sundays you'll go away thinking, man, not I learned a whole lot today, but you'll go away thinking, I need to chew on that for a while. I need to think about what I've heard, and then I need to ask God to really teach me what I'm supposed to do with that. So hopefully we're going to sink our teeth a little deeper into Scripture, beginning in the book of John. And here's how John chapter 1 begins. Welcome to some of the most confusing 13 verses of the Bible. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. I don't know about you, but every time I read those verses, I stop and shake my head and say, what? Like, that, that to me is some of the most confusing verses in the Bible because of the massive themes 
that are being strung together. I've heard people say that when someone becomes a Christian, when someone decides to follow Jesus, or when someone wants to learn about Jesus, that the first thing they should do is read the book of John. And I say, no, you won't make it past the first 15 verses. Read the book of Matthew. That's the story about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That's, that's the one you think you're going to read. John is hard if you don't understand the themes and, and the context that John is trying to pull together. But when you understand what John is trying to say and you see it fit scripturally, John becomes the most powerful picture of the life of Jesus that we have in the entire Bible. And today I want to give you three words that I think will be a little more easy to understand than what we just read in 13 verses. And these three words are going to kind of set us on a course, a downhill course, going deep underground with a maturity and a depth of scripture and understanding and following this year, hopefully to new levels under the spiritual earth that we've never, never been to before. So how do we, how do we understand John chapter 1 in, in a way that will help us follow? Well, you first need to understand this. John is a book, first and foremost, about beginnings. John is a book about beginnings. If I were to throw out a quick pop quiz... And, and we acted like we weren't studying John chapter 1. For those of you who maybe have been raised around church, maybe you went to Christian school, Catholic school, some type of parochial school, um, you've had just a little bit of Bible education. If I were to say, pop quiz, which book of the Bible begins in the beginning? You would say, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you would be right. Genesis begins in the beginning. But so does John. The exact same way. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning. And the similarities between Genesis 1 and John 1 compel us to study them together because there's a spiritual connection between what's happening in Genesis 1 and what's happening in John 1. In Genesis 1 1, the Bible says in the beginning. In John 1 1, John says in the beginning. In Genesis 1 3, God said, Let there be light. In John 1 4, John said, The light of all mankind was coming. In Genesis 1 1, it says God created. In John 1 3, it says through Jesus all things were made or created. In Genesis 1 2, it said there was darkness over the earth. In John 1 5, it said there was a light that came to shine in that darkness. In Genesis 1.26, we talk about a man created by God. In John 1.6, we talk about a man sent from God. In Genesis 1.27, we talk about people who were created by God. And in John 1.13, we talk about people born of God. So there's this marriage between Genesis 1 and John 1 that you, I mean, that you have to recognize if you've ever really studied the Bible before. And you have to say, okay, God, what's the connection? We know that Genesis was the beginning of the story of God intersecting with humanity. It says that God spoke into the void of the universe. How long that universe had been there? Nobody knows. Some scientists will spec it at billions of years old. But Genesis 1-1 says God spoke into that void of creation. He began to create things. For the specific purpose of creating people who would spend time and get to know God on that earth, hopefully to have a relationship that would last into eternity. John, on the other hand, was the beginning of Jesus intersecting with humanity. So in Genesis 1, God stepped in and he created the heavens and the earth and he created humanity that he would want to live with him. And then very quickly, humanity messed that up. But then in John, Jesus stepped in, the light into the darkness in the beginning, just the exact same way as Genesis. But this time, Jesus stepped in to connect with humanity. And as a matter of fact, the remainder of the Bible... Everything from Genesis 1 to John 1 all the way through to Revelation chapter 21. The remainder of the Bible connects and supports these two great events and these two great books. God creating in the heavens and the earth. Jesus 
giving people the opportunity to be recreated or reborn spiritually. Everything is going to support these two anchors of Scripture, Genesis 1 and John 1. The Old Testament, 39 books, Genesis through Malachi, was God's covenant promise through Abraham, a person, to the nation of Israel, a people, to bless the world through a Savior. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew to communicate to the Jewish people. It was their gospel. It was their story. It was their Savior. It was their message of hope and peace to the world that people could be reconciled to God. But they didn't do a great job of translating that to the world. They kind of kept it for themselves and they kind of hated everyone who wasn't them. The New Testament was kind of the exact opposite. It was God's covenant promise through Jesus, not Abraham. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. And it was given to all the people of the world. The cool thing about the New Testament, it was written in Koine Greek. Not just Greek, but Koine Greek, which means common Greek. It was written that way so the gospel, the story of Jesus, could be communicated to the whole world. There was a general who had the name Alexander. He's known in history as Alexander the Great who conquered much of the known world. And here's the directive he gave to his commanders. He said, I want to be able to ride my horse into any town, village, or city that I rule, and I want to be able to get off my horse and talk to people. So they all need to be able to speak my language. So they took the Greek language, they boiled it down into a very common system of letters and nouns and verbs so that the whole world could understand it. Because Alexander said, I want to be able to ride anywhere that I rule, get off my horse and talk to someone without needing an interpreter. Jesus would take the gospel and he would spread it throughout the earth in this time when everyone spoke a common language, kind of like English today, so that a preacher could ride his horse or get on a boat and walk into any village in the known world and talk about Jesus and people would understand. So the New Testament scripture could be written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 27 books all the way through Revelation, could be written in a language it could be taken and given to any town on planet earth and they would understand it. That's what God did so that he could spread the gospel. And there were 400 years between those two covenants. The Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the prophet. First book of the New Testament, the gospel writers writing about who Jesus was. And after 400 years of no new spiritual revelation, the gospel of Jesus would mark a new beginning in the story of God intersecting with humanity. 400 years of darkness that were ended by a Savior coming to lead people out of bondage. Sounds a little bit like Moses in the Exodus, right? 400 years of slavery, the people of Israel in Egypt, and God raised up a deliverer who would rescue them, and they had a new beginning. Isn't it interesting how by just calling a month a different name, we get to start over every year? I mean, really, we, we, we live in a linear world that started for me on February 4th, 1978, and it goes until they put a date on my tombstone one day. But somehow within this linear world that we live in, every January we get to start over. It's like we start a new course, we start a new track, we start a new year. It's almost like the old doesn't exist and we get an opportunity for new beginnings. And some of you need a new beginning because 2015 was very dark. 2015 was a year of bondage. 2015 felt like a year of slavery to you. 2015 felt like a year of oppression for you. And you need 2016 to be better because if 2016 doesn't offer a new beginning, you may not get to 2017. And that's where the people of Israel were. That's where the people of God were. When John wrote in the beginning, he was speaking to a world that had been living in a lot of bondage, a lot of darkness, a lot of stress, a lot of discouragement, a lot of despair. 
People were looking for a light. They were looking for something good. They were looking for something to give them hope. And here comes Jesus. And if you're here today and 2015 was very dark for you and you're praying 2016 can be a new beginning, I want you to know it can. I believe through Jesus it can. And just because we call December 31st, now January 1st, and somehow, boom, everything gets to start over, let's take it and run with it and run with Jesus this year because I believe people living in darkness can see a great light and Jesus can change everything. But John said beginning was just the start of what was needed. In John chapter 1, he went to a second word and he said beginning is, is a good place to start, but he said you also have to believe. John chapter 1 isn't just about beginning, it's about believing. And it's really interesting where John kind of veers deep here in his teaching of faith. As a matter of fact, if there's a single word that summarizes the book of John, it's the word believe. It's a word that begins his book, it's a word that ends his book, and it's a book, it's, it's a book where everything is funneled toward this thought of belief. Look at John 1 verse 7 if you still have your Bible open. In John 1, 7, John said, here's what you need to know about Jesus. He came as a witness. He's talking about John the Baptist. Now, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light. That's Jesus. Why? So that all through him might believe. So John begins his book by saying, here's what this book is about. I'm going to teach you who Jesus is so you can believe in him. Look at how John ends his book. Flip back to John chapter 20, if you would, at the very end. Because after giving us the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, after talking about seven specific sermons of Jesus, seven I am statements of Jesus, seven miracles of Jesus, we'll study a lot of those this year. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John said, now you need to know the reason I told you everything that I just told you. In John 20, 31, he said, these are written, all these words, this book, these stories, all this stuff about Jesus, they're written so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, I'm writing a book so you'll believe in Jesus. Look at verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 1. John said, yet, yet, to, all, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. John wrote a book, not just about Jesus, but about believing in Jesus. And there's a difference. There's a difference between having a knowledge of Jesus and an awareness of Jesus and believing in Jesus, receiving Jesus as Lord, the word Lord means master or supreme authority, and following Jesus in every area of your life. And John knew when he wrote his book that this that this that this kind of differentiation was needed. He knew there was a group of people who knew about Jesus and were aware of Jesus, but didn't follow Jesus. And John said, that does not really work for the life you're looking for. So I want to teach you not just to know about Jesus and be aware of Jesus, but I want to teach you to believe, about, to believe in Jesus, receive Jesus, and follow Jesus. You see, John understood more than any other writer of Scripture that there was a gap growing between the difference of having a knowledge of Jesus... And believing in Jesus. When John had his final days as an apostle within the group of 11 disciples who had lived to see the resurrection of Jesus. Several years earlier there were only 120 people really on planet earth who heard about Jesus and believed in Jesus. But now when John wrote this letter Jesus was a common, he was a common household name. 
Secular Roman historians had written about Jesus. He was known all over the Roman Empire. Jewish secular historians had written about Jesus and the followers of Jesus. He was a household name. John knew that millions of people knew about Jesus, were aware of Jesus, but he knew that only a small number believed in him and received him enough to follow. You see, the knowledge and awareness of Jesus had grown because people were talking about Jesus. For those of you who understand the Bible just a little bit, you understand that four people wrote books about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. They're called the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. And four men wrote books about Jesus. That's why so many people knew about Jesus. Three of those four books are very similar. They're called in theology the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic is made up of two words, the word synonym and optics. It means to see the same or to see through the same lens or to look at together. And the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're three ministry biographies of Jesus that have a highly similar content. Same stories, same teaching, same places, same people. They probably read each other's before they wrote, and no one knows, knows who really wrote first. Most people think it was Mark. Maybe it was Mark, maybe it was Matthew. But they were written just a few decades after Jesus died. Matthew, I think, was written around 50 AD. So this would be 20 years at the most after Jesus died and raised again. Mark was written around a similar time period. My brother-in-law is a, has a PhD in Bible, and he told me they, they now have researchers who believe they found copies of Mark that were written in AD 35, possibly, which would be two or three years after Jesus died, the earliest known manuscripts of stories about Jesus. And then Luke came along about a decade later. Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a doctor. Luke was educated. And Luke said, so many people are talking about Jesus. Let me tell you what I have heard. He wrote his gospel in AD 60 or 61. But Luke, the, the way Luke introduces his book tells us that there was a lot of people talking about Jesus, aware of Jesus, knowledgeable about Jesus, but maybe not following Jesus. Luke just kind of puts it right out there. He says this in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He said, everyone's talking about Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, that everyone is talking about Jesus... Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing a book for one of his friends to tell him what he knows about Jesus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke had a friend who'd heard about Jesus who was trying to figure out whether or not it was true. So he asked Luke, what do you think? What, you heard about Jesus? I heard about you. Have you heard the things about Jesus? What do you think? Luke said, let me go check it out. He was a historian. He was educated. He said, let me check it out. Let me talk to people. Let me talk to people who were eyewitnesses who were actually there, and I'll let you know. That is the book of Luke. That's a good place to start reading the story of Jesus, too. One friend trying to help another friend understand if Jesus was real by talking to people who had been there and done that. But by John's day, John's writing now a quarter century after Luke. By John's day, so many people were talking about Jesus. But John said, there's a problem. Everyone's talking about Jesus, but nobody's following Jesus. Everyone is aware of Jesus, but I don't know that people believe in Jesus as, as the Lord, as the master of their life. So John said, I'm going to write a book not to teach you more stuff about Jesus, but to really challenge you to believe and receive and follow Jesus. John actually points out in John chapter 1, the large number of people who saw Jesus. 
but who didn't recognize his place in the world and in their lives. So John's writing in A.D. 80, 90, 60 years after Jesus has been crucified, 60 years after Jesus had risen again and ascended, more than 50 years of the church being established all over the world. And John says this in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He said, Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. There were people who saw Jesus, who were aware of Jesus, who had a knowledge of Jesus. But they didn't recognize him as being the Savior and the Lord of their life that they should follow. So they were aware of Jesus, but because they didn't recognize and follow him, like nothing happened in their life spiritually. John says, I don't want that to be you. He'd watch people be aware of Jesus, but not make Jesus the center of their life. And he said, that's not going to work for you spiritually. John knew this because the spiritual outcome of somebody who lives for Jesus is very easy to see. As a matter of fact, as we study what John wrote the next six weeks, John gives us such a list of the marks of someone who follows Jesus that after learning them, you could spend a month with me living in my house, driving in my car, watching my interactions with my wife and kids and people that I deal with on a daily basis, and I could spend a month with you doing the exact same thing and looking at John's list, we would be able to say, you either are or are not a follower of Jesus. It's very clear what a follower of Jesus looks like. And John said, there's a big world who's aware of Jesus but they're not following Jesus. And that's a problem that we've got to get through. You see, the goal of this year at Journey is not to learn more about Jesus. It's to become more like Jesus. You see, John chapter 1 is about beginnings. John chapter 1 is about believing. But John chapter 1 is about becoming. You see, when you believe and receive, John says you become. When you believe and you receive and you follow, you become. Here's what John said in John chapter 1, verse 12. When you believe and you receive, you become. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you becoming more like Jesus Would you, as you look at 2015, would you say that 2015 was a year of your life where you were more like Jesus than any other year of your life? Would you say 2015 was the high water mark of your life spiritually, that when you look back on your life, you're going to say, 2015, if anyone would ever compare me to Jesus, it would have been in 2015, because that was a great year. If it was, I promise you in 2016, you can be more like Jesus. And if it wasn't, guess what? I promise you in 2016, you can become more like Jesus. The goal of this year is not to learn more about Jesus. It's to become more like Jesus. And I believe in 2016, we should all have faith goals that are moving us from believing to becoming. Believing is not a bad thing. Maybe you're in here today and you were one of the people on Christmas Eve that put your faith in Jesus. You said, Jesus, I need you. And you believe for the first time in Jesus, my goodness, like 10 days ago. You say, well, is that not good enough? No, it's good enough. It's actually perfect. One day you're going to stand before God in heaven, and when he asks you why, you know, what what you've done to be allowed into heaven, what your life has done, you're going to say, man, my life did not measure up, but I believed in Jesus. I, I put my faith in Jesus. Great. That's step one. Now what? You see, some of you believed in Jesus not 10 days ago, but 10 years ago, and you're still not becoming like Jesus. Some of you believed in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus 20 or 30 years ago. Yet you're not becoming like Jesus. You you are forgetting the second half of the story of what Christianity is supposed to be. 
And I believe this should be the goal of every Christian at JCI, to become more like Jesus this year. This was the goal of the Apostle John, and ultimately it became his reality. Who was the Apostle John as we get into his book this year? Do you know he was the youngest of the disciples of the 12 that Jesus called? John was the youngest. You know, many scholars believe that John was 13 years old when Jesus called him to be a disciple. I want you to think about that for a minute. For those of you who have 13-year-old kids that you just hate, John was 13 when Jesus called him to be a disciple. Think about that. For those of you who have grandkids or nieces or nephews or neighbor kids or your teachers of seventh graders, and you think, wow, one of the disciples was 13. John was the youngest disciple, maybe 13 years old when Jesus called him out to be a disciple. Do you know his big brother was also a disciple? He was a little brother of James. As a matter of fact, as the youngest disciple who ran around with his big brother and his friends, any of you have older siblings and you always wanted to hang out with them, they get to go do things you weren't allowed to do. John had an older brother named James. His buddy was Simon. His brother was Andrew. I can only imagine how excited John was when James, his older brother, and his friends Simon and Andrew, Simon who'd later be renamed Peter, went to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, you can come too. How cool would that be as a little brother getting to go hang out with your older brothers and this new rabbi that everyone was following around? And John didn't quit when it got hard. Acts chapter 12 tells us that his brother James was put in prison and that Herod beheaded him. He was the first of the disciples who was martyred, killed. You would think after seeing your big brother killed that you would say, I'm out. Maybe this isn't for me, but not John. If we do the math, he'd been a disciple for three to five years. Probably still wasn't even 20 yet. Saw his brother killed for following Jesus. And he still said, I'm in. We know that he was one of Jesus' closest friends. John was a disciple that at the Last Supper, when Jesus was kind of taking his final deep breaths, knowing what was coming, and he was eating his Last Supper with his disciples, the Bible tells us that John was the one who was sitting right beside him. And while the disciples were kind of carrying on, John was the one concerned about Jesus. John, Jesus would make statements, and John would keep saying, Are you okay? What do you mean? Who's it going to be? You can tell me. At one point, Peter had a question during the Last Supper, and he asked it John. He asked John to ask him because he knew how close Jesus and John were. Remember Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and he knew he was going to die? He looked at John and he said, John, I need you to take care of my mom after this is all over with. How close would you have to be with somebody on your deathbed to say, I'm, I'm giving my family to you. Take care of my family. Take care of my wife. Take care of my kids. Take care of my mom and dad. John said, John, John said I got it. One of Jesus' closest friends. He was the last living disciple. He was the only disciple, according to, to church historians, that did not die a martyr's death, which means he was not killed for his faith. Nero attempted to kill him, as did subsequent Roman emperors. We're told, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, that the Apostle John, in order to make a spectacle of one of the last living disciples, he was boiled alive in a cauldron of oil. And when they lifted him out of it, he was still alive. Now, if you've ever been in the burn unit of a hospital or you've seen someone who was badly burned in a fire, you can picture what John must have looked like the last few years of his life. Not a hair on his body, horribly deformed. Who knows how well even his sight and his hearing worked, but he survived. And the Bible says he was exiled to the island of Patmos, probably because they didn't want him to become even more of a spectacle of what it looked like to follow Jesus. So they said, just put him on an island till he dies. It was there that he received the revelation of Jesus Christ that we read about in the last book of the Bible. And we think it was in his latter years that he actually began to write the books of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And he had the longest ministry of any disciple. 
We know that he was taken from being the pastor of the church at Ephesus that Paul had started, then Timothy had taken over. John was actually the third great pastor of that church. And historians tell us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, moved with John to Ephesus, and they would have lived there. How cool would it have been to visit that church? I mean, pilgrims would have come from all over to go to church in Ephesus to get a look at Jesus' mom and one of Jesus' closest friends who were leading the church at the time. A lot of people still believe that Mary's buried in Ephesus where she would have died being taken care of by John. John's a big deal. And John was really concerned that people got it spiritually and that they followed Jesus. As a matter of fact, John didn't just write John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And 1 John is one of the most fascinating books in the entire Bible. It's only five chapters. You can go home and read it this week if you want to. In the book of John, John says twice, I'm writing this book so you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In 1 John, he says this, I'm writing this. I'm writing this book so that those of you who have believed you can have confidence that you're really Christians because people begin to ask questions. Well, I think I believe. How do I know if I believe? How do I know if I'm really a Christian? So first John was written. John said, here's how you can know if you're really a Christian. And he lays out kind of the marks of a disciple. Here's what, it, here's what your life will look like if you're really a Christian because he wanted people to know for sure that they were following Jesus. So in First John, we see these marks of becoming, beyond believing these marks of becoming. This was John's formula from... To know that you're moving from believing to becoming. And I believe for you and I, this can be our formula in 2016 if our goal is to become more like Jesus and not just believe. What are they? Five things. Number one, a maturing faith. John says you'll know you're following Jesus if you just continue to grow in your faith a little bit over time. Now, all of us will have setbacks, but setbacks will be followed by comebacks. And some of you this year, you need to look at your life and ask the question, do I have a maturing faith? Am I, am I in deeper spiritually now than I've ever been? And if not, why? When was the time where you were in your deepest spiritually? Some of you have to go back to your teenage days on a mission trip. And you would say that week on the mission field or that week at a youth camp or that week serving at a vacation Bible school. Man, I think I was closer to Jesus than I've ever been at that moment in my life. I think I was becoming like Jesus. And then maybe you've had this massive setback. It's time for a comeback. Because if you're following Jesus, you'll continue to have a maturing faith. Maybe it was the first few years of your marriage and you were happy in, in marital bliss and everything was good and the jobs were the good and there were no financial pressure and there wasn't a lot of strain with kids or anything. And then you realized you couldn't get pregnant and then one of you lost your job and then you did have kids and you didn't have money to pay for it. And slowly what was this blessed assurance of a marriage where you were so close to Jesus, you realize all these setbacks got you so far away from Jesus and you said, man, what, how did I get where I am? My faith is not maturing at all. I'm actually going in the opposite direction. It's time for a comeback. For some of you, it was in your first marriage and when that fell apart, you had a massive setback. It's time for a comeback. Some of you, it was that time when your health was good and everything seemed okay and then you had a setback. It's time for a comeback. You see what I'm saying? When you're becoming more like Jesus, when you're following Jesus, your faith is maturing. Sometimes it's very slow. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes you make massive gains. Sometimes you lose ground. But as a Christian, you should always be maturing in your faith. Number two, John said every Christian will be looking for increased time with God. Every person who's following Jesus is trying to figure out how to spend more time with Jesus because he's just the greatest human being who's ever existed. And if any of us had a chance to spend time with him, we would want that time to be a little longer than it was. So how do you plan to increase your time with God this year? 
How do you plan to make Sunday more of a priority in your schedule this year so you can come and, and be in the congregation of God's people, worshiping in community, learning the Bible? How can Sunday become a, a bigger part of your life and then outside of church? How are you going to plan to spend time with God? What are you going to tune your radio stations to? What books are going to be on your, your nightstand? Where are you going to have a Bible laying that you can spend time with Jesus? Because I promise you, if you ever had a chance to hang out with Jesus, you would want it to last just a little bit longer. John says, when you look at people who are really developing spiritually, they, they spend sacrificial time with other Christians. John actually said in 1 John, you'll know the people who aren't really following Jesus because they'll leave. And you'll know they weren't part of us because they didn't stay with us. But real Christians, they realize they need other people in life. And they will sacrifice time in their life to spend time with other people so that they can pour into other people and other people can pour into them. Some of you are trying to figure out if you have the marks of a Christian in your life. And for those of you who say, I just don't ever have time for anybody, that's, that's kind of a dangerous miss, actually. Because someone with the heart of Jesus says, I'll figure out a way to make time for other people. Because Jesus made time for me. It's a dangerous miss to not be willing to spend any time with any other people ever. When you're really following Jesus, there's a decreased amount of sin. There's not an elimination of it in this lifestyle. John actually says in 1 John, if you say you're without sin, you deceive yourself. You're a liar. You're not going to eliminate sin in your life. But John says, when you sin, 1 John 1, 9, you need to confess that. God will be faithful and just to purify you. So when you look at your life, you should be from where you began to where you are now. There should be a little less sin today than there was last year. And there ought to be a little less next year than there is this year. You ought to be working your way towards spiritual purity. And then number five, there's this intimacy with Jesus. There's just this desire to be close to Jesus. I was reading in my devotions this week in the book of Psalms and I realized two or three different times there were promises made to people who stayed in the shadow of the Almighty. And it's like God spoke to me and said, Christian, if you're just close enough to be in the shadow, you're okay. You don't have to like hang on to my, my hand every day. But if you will just stay close enough to me to be in the shadow... Just stay in the shadow, in my blessings, in my power, in my presence. It'll, it'll just wash over you. But you cannot just run off on your own. So one of my prayers this year is that I can stay in the shadow. Just at least stay in the shadow. If I can't hang on to Jesus, at least stay in the shadow. And as you look at the life of John, you know, John may have been the last person alive. He probably was the last person alive who really thought of Jesus as a real person. I mean, you and I see Jesus as a spiritual figurehead. And like we can remember him like, like maybe we think of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Like, you know, he's a great character that represents a lot of great things. But to John, he was a person. He was a real person. He was a friend. They went fishing together. They camp outs together because they lived outside most of the time. Um, I'm sure they were swimming together in the Sea of Galilee. John knew whether Jesus was right-handed or left-handed. John knew what type of food he liked and what type of food he didn't. I mean, John and Jesus, they knew each other. They were boys. They, they really knew each other as people. And when John thought of Jesus, he didn't think of a spiritual character in his head he had to live up to. He thought of a, a real person that he loved deeply. And he's willing to do anything for that person. And here's the challenge offered to us from John. When you really believe in Jesus... When you really receive him as a real presence in your life, not just some spiritual figurehead that hangs on a cross, you'll follow him differently 
And you'll become like him eventually. That's what John is saying. I mean, when you really grasp the essence of who Jesus is as a person, you'll follow him differently and you'll become like him eventually. So how is your becoming? I hope you believe. But how is your becoming? Because that's the next step of your journey. You know, at our church, we, we want to continually see people move towards becoming like Jesus. And while we'd like to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with everyone and say, okay, here's your plan, we realize as we study the book of Acts that there were four things that every church did in the New Testament that pushed people towards becoming like Jesus. And you can remember them all at our church because they kind of all start with an E. Number one was they experienced worship. The Bible says on the first day of every week, which was Sunday, they'd meet in the temple courts, they'd sing songs together. And then someone would teach them the word of God and how to live it. So we say, okay, we're going to do church on Sunday. We believe church on the first day of the week, singing songs, standing up, teaching about Jesus. That helps people become like Jesus. When are you going to get really committed to church on Sundays? What year will you say church is going to be priority? Let me ask you a question. Or let me give you this challenge. I want to challenge you this year one time to say no to something so you can come, come to church on a Sunday. Just one time. Say no to the tickets one time. Say no to your kid's coach one time. Say no to your job one time. Say no to sleeping in one time. I want you one time this year with something else going on to say no and make Sunday morning a priority. Because you know what most Christians do when there's nothing going on on Sunday morning? They're in church. It's in their list of priorities, but it's not the top. Go back and look at how many times you've disappointed someone else so that you can put Jesus first. And I challenge you, just one time this year, Don't upset the balance of your whole life unless God's really calling you to that. But one time this year, say no to someone and say we're going to go to church and just see how it works out experiencing worship. Number two, we see that the New Testament church engaged in small groups. Acts 2.42 says they met in homes and they talked about what they were learning. They chewed on it. That's what I'm going to ask you to do even with this message. I'm going to ask you to go away and chew on it a little bit and say, all right, Lord, how am I going to do this? Does he really mean that he wants me to say no to somebody? On a Sunday so that I can come to church? You chew on it. You don't have to swallow it. Just chew on it. Process that a little bit. See how that tastes to you spiritually over the course of the next 90 days. And then get in a group and talk, talk to people about it. Say, what do you think about it? Tell me a time when you've done this and, it, and it's worked out good or a time you've done it and it's worked out bad. Live in Christian community. Because it's only going to help you become more like Jesus. Because you're going to be able to share your life with people. And people are going to be able to share their lives with you. Pastor Ryan has got this unbelievable curriculum that our small groups are going to begin studying the last week of January. We got a guy in Pastor Ryan who eats, breathes, and sleeps small groups and the impact they can have on people's lives. You know, he right now is trying to figure out how to offer this curriculum as a virtual small group for people who absolutely cannot get to a men's group, women's group, couples group. They have no time in their life. They travel, but they really want to learn how to read the Bible this year so they can hear from God. Ryan's trying to figure out how he can get a virtual group so you can do this even on the road where you are and connecting people through the internet with blogs and emails and texts and Google chats and whatever. Because we believe if you will engage with people, you'll become more like Jesus. We believe that everybody should embrace volunteering. You have something you can offer to the church of Jesus. Danielle and I woke up on Tuesday of this week, and our house was freezing. Like I literally leaned over and I said, did you turn off the heat? Our house was 60 degrees, and we realized our heater had broken. We tried to get it up and down, and nothing was happening. Like, oh, no, what are we going to do? So Danielle sent out some emails. 
And some of, some of our friends connected us. They said, man, there's a guy actually who lives three or four houses down for you. Um, he can fix it. So we reached out to him. And he kind of came over and, I, I mean, almost for nothing, just kind of fixed it. And he was just kind of like, you know, he said, this is, this is what I can do to help people. And I told Danielle when he left, I said, you know, this is the way the church is supposed to work. You just figure out what it is that you can do and you help people when they have a need. I said, man, I hope he calls me one day. She's like, what could you help him do? I was like, well, if he had ever had a Bible question, like, I'm good at that. You know, like, I, I probably couldn't fix anything in his house. If he had leftovers, I could help him with that. I could play with his dog. I could talk to him about Jesus. But, you know, that, I mean, I, I might not be a great neighbor, but I, you know, I can tell people about Jesus. But I thought, man, that's the church right there. Figure out what I can do. You can shake hands. You can help in the nursery. You can help set up and tear down chairs. There's a place for you to just do the thing you do and help. And you know you'll become more like Jesus when you use your life to serve others. And then number four, equip yourself with a spiritual growth plan, which means I look at my life and say, okay, Lord, what's next for me? And I'm always thinking of the next steps of what will help me become more like Jesus. So do you believe in Jesus? I hope the answer is yes. We're actually going to sing a song in just a minute about believing in Jesus. That's just step one. Are you becoming like Jesus? Because that's what the next six weeks are going to challenge you to do. Become like Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?